The talk this evening is on finding space. We live within a world where it is becoming increasingly difficult to find any real sense of space. Living in the midst of a technological, so-called sophisticated culture means that often without choice we find ourselves subjected to the products and the debris of that culture. We live in a way in which much of our days, at times every waking moment, we're in a position of being bombarded by stimulation through every sense door in the form of noise, sound, sight, sensory impression. And at times it can feel that it is very, very difficult to find any real sense of space or quietness. And we can find ourselves becoming accustomed to this kind of invasion of sense data until we come to a point in our lives within ourselves where the very experience of quietness or stillness becomes something alien, foreign, even uncomfortable to us. Living with children within the context of relationships with other people invariably too brings its own input of sound, need, demands, pressures. We have the outer world that we deal with. We have also our own inner world, the world too of our own minds and feelings, our bodies, where again we can find this ongoing movement, this ongoing procession of thought activity, of memories, of plans and projections. Again, and our experience again may be one of feeling invaded except this time the invasion basically comes from within ourselves. And that invasion can be the accustomed, the norm, the way of our lives. And so that inner stillness and inner quietness and inner space also becomes an experience which is uncomfortable or difficult really for us to deal with being or finding ourselves in a situation of stillness or quietness, we may find that we feel there's something missing, some kind of vitality or some kind of life missing, something absent, and we become alienated inwardly from inner stillness. And alienated inwardly from inner stillness, what inevitably happens is that we substitute distraction for spaciousness and stillness within ourselves. We perhaps accept that we grow up, all of us, within a culture which is competitive, pressuring, and ambitious. Even as children, most of us probably found our experience one of where we're rarely accepted just as we are. Instead, we may have found ourselves exposed to a whole variety of expectations in the form of should. What we should be, what we should become, how we should act, how we should live, how we should think. As we grow up, we face a whole new set of expectations in terms of the roles that we're expected to assume in life, in terms of 
the gains we're expected to make, and times of being able to accumulate to acquire. And all of this expectation can have the effect of creating a certain pressure, a certain demand upon our sense of being. We grow up within this culture, as I mentioned earlier in the retreat, that absolutely worships this trinity of prestige and security and success, experiences and attainments which can become incredibly important in our lives so that we find ourselves within our own being, feeling competitive, feeling ambitious, and feeling pressured. And that all of that tends and serves to consume the space within ourselves, that level of stillness and spaciousness within ourselves. We learn how to become, or the ways of becoming, so many things and identities in life. How to find inner spaciousness is not a lesson which for most of us is an integral part of our upbringing. How to find peace within ourselves is not a lesson which is given a great deal of emphasis in our culture. How to discover a place inwardly of stillness and sensitivity and richness is a lesson which in many of our upbringings tends just to be neglected. And we experience and live with the effects of a lack of spaciousness, a lack of inner spaciousness. We've probably all borne witness to this 20th century phenomena of an individual seeking relaxation by reading a newspaper, listening to the radio, watching television, and stuffing their mouths all at the same time. And in our culture, they may say, well, I'm learning how to relax not seeing how this constant input, this constant feeding of our sense doors and feeding of our minds is no true path to discovering a true level of stillness and spaciousness within ourselves. We experience the effects both outwardly and inwardly of a lack of spaciousness, a lack of sensitivity. We see the breakdown in relationship. We see the alienation. We see the tension, the reactiveness that comes between people. We experience within ourselves what it feels like to be tense, to be stressed, to feel pressured. We experience the effects of a lack of spaciousness in the degree of kind of psychosomatic illness that is so prevalent in our culture, in the expression of kind of psychological imbalance that lack of spaciousness, and when you experience it, is sometimes expressed by just having a strong inner feeling of just needing to get away. And for some people, when they find themselves very pressured and very burdened in their lives, suddenly the idea of going to the East becomes very attractive. You know, we have all these perhaps these images of, you know, nice little mountain Himalayan cave or, you know, nice little forest hut somewhere in the east, and how attractive it seems to live a life of this apparent simplicity and lack of pressure and spaciousness. And yet one only needs to speak with people who've spent a great deal of time in the east to know very clearly that the person in the cave in the Himalayas 
doesn't necessarily have any more space than the commuter in New York or the mother or father in the midst of an enormous family if they carry with them a mind, a, a psyche, which is overburdened, which is chattering, which is pressured by its own memories, its preoccupations, or its obsessions. Outer change is not enough to bring about that inner spaciousness, but neither is outer change irrelevant. None of us would expect to be able to put a candle out in a rainstorm and expect it to stay alight. Neither can we expect ourselves to maintain and abide in a sense of spaciousness if we live in a way where we cannot accommodate, don't have the inner stability to accommodate the variety of challenges that life brings to us. Or if we choose to live in a way or find ourselves living in a way in which that quality of inner space isn't really treasured and nourished by the very way of our lives. At times, radical outer change is very necessary. I feel the very kindergarten of wisdom is really being able to clearly distinguish in our lives what does contribute to clarity and what does contribute to confusion. The kindergarten of wisdom is really being able to see what is it in our lives, our own way of being, that contributes to a sense of well-being and enhances that inner peace and stillness? And what is it in our lives or in ourselves that really detracts or undermines that sense of well-being? And sometimes, if we can really come back to that very kindergarten of wisdom, our very path of outer change usually becomes very apparent to most of us. We see what it is in our lives, the way of our relating, the way of acting, that undermines well-being. We can probably all too clearly see the factors in our lives that really contribute to and enhance a greater sense of peace and sensitivity and clarity in our lives. That feeling of a lack of inner space is something that brings people to meditation. And an awareness that we, and we need to have that spaciousness within ourselves. And that if we don't have it, we find ourselves just in a position of again and again being overwhelmed by the world and by our own minds. And when we stop, such as in meditation, when we actually sit, we experience so clearly and directly the very momentum that our minds have you know, you sit in this apparent stillness, outer stillness and quietness, and within yourself, it, I know it can feel like being engaged in just one long conversation, except that you are the only participant, you know? And there can be these endless dialogues and recycling, and you can feel like here you are sitting alone on your zafu, but inwardly, it feels like sitting with a horde you know, who all have something to say for themselves. And you experience the effects of that on your own sense of well-being, your own sense of balance in the moment. And if we're sensitive, and we have innate qualities of sensitivity within ourselves, we can feel very directly 
how intolerable that lack of spaciousness is. You know, they do these, these kind of laboratory experiments with animals, very unnecessary experiments, where they crowd animals together into a small cage, a small environment, and then they bombard them with sound, with light, with, with sensation, to see what the effect is. And the effect, of course, is very apparent. The animals either become very aggressive or they become withdrawn and almost catatonic. And we experience the same effects in our own lives when we are overburdened inwardly, when we are laden with a mind and with a, a psyche of thought and emotion that is simply without any degree of spaciousness. Those times when we are overburdened are those times that we find ourselves feeling most reactive, you may be familiar with that experience of just being on edge, where it takes so little stimulation, an innocent kind of question from someone, an innocent remark, a small encounter, and you found triggered within yourself a kind of inordinate degree of reaction, where suddenly there's an explosion of anger or, or an explosion of frustration, quite out of proportion to the actual situation you're experiencing. And that experience is a basic expression and basic symptom of a lack of spaciousness. When we experience those times, you know, when we've been overreactive, overimpulsive, we may find ourselves regretting those moments. We might find ourselves making resolutions you know, we tend all to be wonderful at making resolutions that this isn't going to happen again. I'm not going to be so oversensitive until again the experience comes to us and the same reactions are there. And when we see that enough in our lives, we become very deeply and clearly aware of really the urgency to find spaciousness within ourselves, to be grounded in a sense of inner spaciousness for our own well-being and for the well-being of the relationships we're in, for the well-being of the world that we share in. We live within an undeniable relationship with our world. You know, we are influenced by the quality of the world we live in. We influence the world by the quality of our own being. When we find ourselves ungrounded inwardly, lacking spaciousness. Our basic relationship to the outer world is one simply of being overpowered by it, of being overwhelmed. And where our own sense of ourselves in that relationship is a sense inwardly of being powerless and helpless. Sitting with ourselves, being with ourselves here and elsewhere in our lives, we become aware that it's not enough to substitute things for inner stability. It's not enough to substitute distraction or entertainment or avoidance for discovering and knowing true spaciousness within ourselves. Because we really come to know that we simply cannot divorce ourselves from the quality of our own being. And if there's nothing more, there's nothing more important in our lives than learning how to live in peace with ourselves. 
learning how to discover a real place of calmness and sensitivity inwardly, where there's a rapport with ourselves and with the world in which we share. That sensitivity is important in being able to articulate and express a life of peace and a life of clarity. And when we are overwhelmed, when we're in that position of being overwhelmed by the world, when we're in that position of carrying a heavy and overburdened mind, essentially we find that we do become quite insensitive. I don't know if you've had the experience where you can go for a walk here and the countryside is beautiful, it's a clear perception of sound, birds, and you find that there's just a total disconnection. You can go for a walk, you go from A to B and to return, and you may find that the whole walk has simply been a backdrop for the chatter of your mind, you know, and that you could be anywhere, and that the very kind of burden or heaviness of your own thoughts has not allowed you to feel, to sense, to see, and to hear. When our minds are overburdened too, we find that our perceptions of things are constantly interrupted. You know, there's not that capacity just for pure listening, for pure seeing, for pure touching. Instead, our minds are always tending to come in between as a filter. You know, you walk outside and the, your mind is busy. It's always rearranging the world, always modifying the world. You know, you can walk around the center and when the mind is overburdened and lacking in spaciousness, it tends to function basically as a redecorator, a modifier of the world. You know, they really ought to have that garden over there and that building needs painting and that flower is quite beautiful, but really it would look better over there. People even find that they come into the meditation room, you know, and there's this constant busyness and rearrangement going on. And when our perceptions are always interrupted, that quality of pure listening and pure seeing and pure touching becomes something we find ourselves disconnected from. But we also become disconnected from our own capacity to be receptive. If the mind is constantly in a place of doing, of busyness, of rearrangement, we basically lose touch with that inner sense of receptivity, the receptivity to other people, the receptivity to ourselves, to the messages that our own bodies, minds, and feelings bring to us. And when there's no receptivity, also there's no learning, because the very characteristic of a learning relationship whether it's outwardly or inwardly, is being able to be totally present, being able to be totally conscious, being really fully sensitive in the moment. In order really to find spaciousness within ourselves, to discover inner spaciousness, we do need to see, each one of us, what it is that clutters up our own space what it is that we are preoccupied with, what it is that we are burdened with. In meditation, this becomes really very apparent. We see the thoughts, the feelings, the memories that we just can't seem to let go of, that seem to follow us like a shadow. We tell ourselves, I'm not going to dwell on this, I'm not going to think on this, 
but we find ourselves just unable to let go of it. And every time you sit still, you see these very familiar companions moving through your minds and your feelings. We find, see the things that we dwell upon, the thoughts, the feelings that we dwell upon. We see the thoughts and the images that repeat themselves. We see the thoughts and the images that recycle themselves. All of this is our own particular area of preoccupation. And it is our preoccupations, our over-involvement, which consumes the space within our own consciousness. And different people find themselves preoccupied with different things. For one person, the area of preoccupation is the past. It can be the painful past. You know, if you've had an experience in the past, recent or far, which has been painful, difficult, traumatic, which you haven't been able to accept, invariably you carry that experience into the present. It becomes an area of preoccupation simply because it hasn't been understood or because it hasn't been integrated. Our memories then, in carrying that present, that past to the present, our memories tend to feature in, in headlines these words, if only. You know, you have those long conversations with yourself. If only I had done this differently. If only I hadn't done this. If only this person had been able to relate to me differently. And that if only is an expression of our own lack of integration of the past. And because of that lack of integration, it, the past carries an emotional charge which is carried into the present. At times we become involved with the past not because it is unpleasant or painful, but we become preoccupied with the past because our present experience or situation is dissatisfying. I don't know if you've noticed that when you find the present your experience in the present unfulfilling, your mind invariably tends to go either to past or to future. It tends to move away from the present moment and either involve itself in memory or in plans. And if the present is dissatisfying, so often what we dwell upon, of course, is the present, the pleasant past. I remember when I used to be so happy. I remember when that, that particular experience gave me so much satisfaction. I remember when things were different. And then memory or that dwelling serves basically to cover up or to suffocate our sense of dissatisfaction with the present. For another person, they are not so preoccupied with the past. Instead, they become more preoccupied with the present experience. You sit down and you experience, or you move through your life and you experience it. There are situations we're in we don't want to be in. There are situations we're not in that we want to be in. There are people that we're with that we don't want to be with. People that we're not with that we do want to be with. Hmm? Things that we don't have that we want. Things that we want and don't have. Any of those areas are, is ripe for becoming a preoccupation of the mind because the mind moves away from the present and from that sense or that lack, moves away from that lack of being grounded in the present and finds its, for its preoccupation by dwelling upon what is not. 
Instead of being clearly in tune and connected with what is, the mind becomes obsessed with what is not. For another person, they find that the past and the present are not strong features in the consciousness, but instead it's the future. Hmm? Our plans, the decisions we have to make, our goals. And because whenever we're in a place of having to make a decision or make some sort of plan, we know there are no guarantees. Whenever we put ourselves in a place of making a transition, of making a change, we know we're in a place where we don't have cast iron guarantees that it's going to succeed or going to make us happy. And so because of that gap between our desire and the fulfillment of it, there's endless room for preoccupation. We become preoccupied with the outer, we also become preoccupied with the inner the way that we feel we should be, the experiences that we feel we should be having within ourselves, the way that we should be relating, the ways, again, that we are not. Preoccupation is concerned, essentially, with a lack of fulfillment. When there is that lack of fulfillment, then the preoccupation comes as a, mean, as a way of dwelling, identifying, and clinging. And that preoccupation, of course, consumes the space within our minds. We see the effects, too. As soon as you become preoccupied with something, essentially what happens is your consciousness shrinks. I don't know if you've noticed. As soon as you start to become obsessed with something or preoccupied with something, it seems to fill up your whole consciousness. And it's not necessarily that that idea or issue is, con is, is filling up your consciousness. But what is happening is because of the degree of dwelling, basically your consciousness becomes very small. And as your consciousness becomes very small, so does the issue seem to be larger and larger. And when the issue then, or the, the problem, the difficulty, the obsession, looms up and fills your consciousness, what is lost is spaciousness and perspective. And in the losing of spaciousness and perspective, we find ourselves unable to resolve what it is we are encountering. Meditation is so much concerned with learning how to find space within ourselves, to see what we are preoccupied with, but more importantly, to see the actual process of becoming preoccupied within ourselves. You know, see how often a preoccupation begins with a single thought. And here, you know, you can find it here, it happens so easily. You're here with your children. You might see that you've reacted to your child in a particular way that you're not happy with, that you've, you've been angry or you've been rejecting or you've been impulsive in your reaction. So often then, there's the reaction and then there's the judgment about it. Aha, uh -huh, this was negative. I shouldn't have been like that. With the judgment so often comes the associations. Look, I've done this so many times. You know, surely my child is beginning to perceive me as some kind of monster. With the associations, of course, comes the dwelling, the further feelings, and with all of that feeding into, that single thought turns into a reality. 
I am like this, an inadequate parent. You see it in meditation. You come into the meditation room. You might have a sit-in which is difficult. You're restless, you're agitated. Again, there often comes the thought in the form of a judgment. You know, I really have a lot of difficulty with this. I'm not very good at it. And then comes the associations and the feelings, the feelings of despondency, despair, failure, the associations with the rest of your life, the areas where you've failed, had the same experience, and again, the thought becomes a reality. And that very process is based upon a single thought that arises within our consciousness that is then fed with associations and feelings which is dwelt upon and then becomes our reality. And throughout our days and throughout our lives, we are again and again creating these realities which we find ourselves then overwhelmed by, locked into or frozen within. And those realities become or are perceived as being the total picture of who we are. And then lost within those realities, of course, we again and again experience those inner judgments, rejections, denials, because we're missing that inner spaciousness that doesn't allow us to see totally. Sometimes that kind of preoccupation begins with a very valid intention. You know, you may in your life or in your sitting see that there's an area within yourself which is problematic, which causes conflict. Hmm? And you see that, and you have a very valid and, and worthy intention of going into this to explore it more deeply. You know, I am angry. I'm going to really try and understand why I'm so angry. So, but you begin with a very valid intention. That intention becomes invalid or undermining when the reflection or the inquiry turns instead into dwelling and feeding into when the inquiry turns into indulgence and then being overwhelmed by. I think it's so important to recognize and to appreciate that to really explore and to understand something very deeply within yourself, you need the appropriate tools to do so. You know, you need the tools of sensitivity. You need the tools of spaciousness. You need the tools of clarity. And meditation, the actual practice of meditation, is basically to cultivate those tools. It's to cultivate an inner environment of spaciousness and sensitivity in which the things within our lives, the areas within ourselves, which have previously been overwhelming, are no longer so. But instead, they are accommodated and seen and understood within an environment of openness and spaciousness. How to find that sense of spaciousness? You know, it's not enough to say to yourself when you're dwelling on things or preoccupied with things, it's not enough to say to yourself, well, I must let go. You know, this is a very kind of common meditator's language. Something comes up and you find yourself stuck with it, and the immediate response is, well, I must let go of this. But I wonder how effective you found yourself in being able, you know, in saying that to yourself and finding it in actuality. When you're really stuck with something, have you found it effective to be able to say, well, I'm going to let go of this, or I really must let go of this? 
It's not enough to make that intention or to make that resolution. It's so important to understand why we hold on to things, why we cling to things, why we are preoccupied with things. And so often we cling to things out of fear, fear of changing, fear of losing something, fear of taking risks. You know, not so long ago I spoke to someone in a retreat, and he came to me and he said, he's in England, and he said, you know, I've put a lot of energy into getting my life together, you know, and now I've arranged it so I don't have to work too much, I've got a lot of free time, I have just enough money to get to get by on, and I don't have to push myself or extend myself very much. I have a very comfortable existence. And he says, I can't understand why I'm so miserable. And he's, then he began really to look at that feeling of unhappiness and saw, you know, how he put so much energy into creating this comfortable world, but in that had also sacrificed or was sacrificing his own exploration, his own personal creativity, his own extension, and how that comfort was turning into a kind of dullness that was a trap. And yet he said he was hanging on to it out of this fear of taking risks, this fear of changing, this fear of not being adequate or finding something lacking in his own creativity or exploration. We have many, probably you've noticed, we probably all find that we have many, many habits. And the tendency to construct realities is one of our more unfortunate ones. The tendency to dwell, the tendency to cling, the tendency to identify is a habit and a burden which basically create, uh, consumes space within ourselves. It's so important in our lives to recognize where we are dwelling, where we are clinging, either outwardly or inwardly, and recognizing that by doing that, basically we do sacrifice. In sacrificing our spaciousness, we sacrifice our own personal creativity and often sacrifice our own understanding and insight. At times, it's important because of this tendency we have to construct mountains out of molehills. It is important to learn the skillfulness of being able to cut thought, not in a way that is suppressive. I know many people, they come to meditation, and they hear the concept of cutting thought, and they immediately think, well, this must be a real act of suppression. But that kind of discipline of just being able to cut through thought patterns can be a discipline which isn't based on avoidance or control or suppression. It can be a discipline which comes out of a place of inner strength, out of really recognizing what is of benefit to our well-being and what undermines it. If we really can immediately and intuitively see the effects of dwelling, the effects of obsessiveness, the effects of clinging upon our own being and upon our own relationships, it is at times a great act of kindness towards ourselves to be able to just cut repetitive thought, to develop a skillfulness in doing that, nourishing in that a real inner sense of spaciousness and sensitivity, a spaciousness and sensitivity which allows us to tune in to what is really and truly meaningful and important, 
rather than get, getting lost in habit patterns or thought patterns which are repetitive and habitual. And there's a really fine line in employing inner discipline. It's a really fine line between control and spontaneously just letting go. It's a fine line between suppression and nurturing instead of suppression or calmness. And a lot of it relates to our own intention and motivation of mind. If we wish to avoid something, if we are afraid of something, we avoid, we suppress, we control, we dominate. If we can see the effects of dwelling upon our own well-being, we are able more intuitively to develop that skillfulness of being able to cut through thought patterns, obsessive thought patterns, repetitive thought patterns, habitual thought patterns, which basically undermine our sense of well-being. It's so important in terms of finding spaciousness, of really learning and understanding deeply what it means to start anew in each moment. You know, so many times in our lives we do have to begin again. You know, when a relationship fails, when an aspiration isn't fulfilled, when an expectation isn't fulfilled, when we have an encounter with another person which is unsatisfying, so often we find ourselves in that position of having to begin again and start anew. And yet, despite our familiarity with it, it doesn't always get any easier for us. And meditation, I feel, is a great deal concerned with cultivating that sense of learning to start anew. The actual practice of meditation is a, a constant application of beginning again in each moment of coming to each moment with freshness and sensitivity. And that practice in meditation is basically a training in our lives, for our lives, of learning how to begin again and start anew in each moment. And when you meet that point where you encounter that situation in your life of failure, disappointment, frustration, judgment, you're in a place where you have a choice. Either you can dwell judge, get lost in regret or remorse, or you can learn from that experience, have insight and understanding into that experience, and through that insight and understanding, learn to start anew, to begin again in that very next moment. Discovering how to find spaciousness in our meditation is learning to listen inwardly not just to those times when there are thoughts, preoccupations, ideas, patterns of thought, but also listening, learning to listen to the stillness and to the space between thoughts, the space between feelings, the stillness between images, learning to connect with that stillness and spaciousness in our practice is a training basically for learning how to discover spaciousness in every area of our lives, a, space, a spaciousness which is basically conducive to creativity, to openness, to sensitivity, and to peace. A spaciousness which is so important, which is such an integral ingredient 
to transformation both within ourselves and transformation in our lives. May all beings live with sensitivity. May all beings grow in understanding. May all beings abide in inner spaciousness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.